The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Coming home is proudly supported by Kiwi Bank, the bank that's making Kiwi better off. If you have recently returned to Aotearoa and are looking for opportunities in life and business, a new start, or a safe place to re-establish roots, Kiwi Bank is here for you. Find out more at kiwibank.co.nz. This is the last episode of our Coming Home series. We've been deep diving into what it's been like to return to Aotearoa from a life overseas. And as we heard last week, it's not exactly been easy for everyone. And that's what really worries me, to be honest, because I feel like this is a once in a century opportunity for New Zealand to reverse that outflow of talent. But it doesn't feel like we're clocking the scale of the opportunity. Because in the words of Marnie Turnbull, what we're seeing at the moment... This is beautiful brain gain in complete contrast to this much analysed brain drain. And in this episode, we're talking about what this country can do because we're not doing enough right now and we really need to do something. Otherwise, we're going to get a blatant boomerang effect. And I can give examples of like friends who have just boosted in the last few weeks, actually, because they haven't felt that there's the strong enough pull or strong enough community to kind of give them this hug. So if we don't step up as a country and give these returning New Zealanders that hug that Marnie talks about, I feel like we're going to be looking back at this moment and it's going to infuriate us and there'll be a, quite a profound sense of a moment having been missed. So this, our final episode, is kind of an action plan, I guess. And of course, we've got our expert, Paul Spoonley, who can help us to find out what we can do. What I'm clear about is that we could do it a lot, lot better. And it hopefully is a moment where we can say, this is how we do it better. And therefore, that would be beneficial to everybody. And there's a lot of urgency about this because those returning New Zealanders, a lot of them came back kind of 50-50 on whether they stayed or not. I feel like even the people who aren't 50-50, even the people who came back thinking this is exactly what they wanted, there's a chance that they got here and realised it wasn't going to be the way that they thought it would be. There is a very real chance that if we botch this, in a year, 18 months' time, we see a lot of them buggering off over the horizon again. And there will be a lot of buggering off. I mean, it's part of our cultural DNA. Paul doesn't think that the virus has dampened that urge to travel. He thinks a lot of New Zealanders who have recently returned from overseas might just be hanging out here, just waiting for that COVID storm to pass. It might well be that there's a proportion who are sheltering here. And from anecdotal experience, that's what myself and my husband Joel have found speaking to other New Zealand friends who've come back from the States recently. Some people are like, oh, we're back and we're 
ah, like this is it. And others are like, well, you know, ultimately all our stuff is still there, our house is there, we'd like to be back there when it's safe. You know, there's just a big question mark about when America's ever going to look like a place that it is safe to go back to and, and live a kind of normal existence. And that day doesn't seem nearly so far away as it once did. Since we recorded this interview, a lot has changed. That's hail to the chief, but they're not playing it for him yet. Joe Biden's won the state of Pennsylvania. He's crossed the required threshold of electoral votes. He's the 46th president-elect. Trump lost the election, though he still seems oblivious to that fact. There are positive results from trials of a new COVID-19 vaccine. That's the third in as many weeks. Developed by Oxford University and AstraZeneca. The sense that the world might be on the verge of beginning to open up again is very palpable, which means that our window to change the course of this country's future might be closing. So we have an opportunity at this point with some very skilled New Zealanders who are coming here to actually provide a major injection into our economy and into our society, in fact, because they're bringing not simply job skills, they're bringing a whole lot of other life skills as well. So let's really think about what New Zealand could look like if we are able to keep these talented New Zealanders on shore. We've heard about Julia's People for People social enterprise. I mean, if she stays and succeeds in making People for People all it could be, just imagine what Aotearoa could look like out the other side of that. Mm. You take these communities which have for years been disadvantaged. You know, the successive governments have failed to arrest the educational health, so many different types of system failures that have occurred there. And it almost feels like it would take an outsider with energy and vision and drive and and a real understanding of technology to get in there and solve some of those problems and create opportunities for that community in a way that there just don't seem to be at the moment. Yeah, and you've got Peter's Homeland Project as well, which is amazing. I mean, we know that our food is incredible here, but he's helping put New Zealand on the map as a culinary gem. And then you've got Polly coming too. I mean, Netflix is already the second biggest channel in New Zealand, and yet it has no presence here. It's a very one-way street. I think if you were starting to see really senior people who were working from here, then New Zealand's ability to kind of have that be more of a two-way conversation for its talent and for its audiences would inevitably and naturally be increased. Yeah, we actually spoke about that. Do you feel like you've got something to offer in terms of that experience and what you can kind of share with people who cross your path now in the industry? Yeah, I think so. Like, definitely, I think that I've just got, like, a much broader view. We have a great little industry here in New Zealand, and it's kind of a bit divided in half. We have local content, which takes many forms from, you know, New Zealand on air programmes on TV to our feature films and things. And then we also have this other end, which is... Uh, servicing international production. So the Avatars, the uh, Mulans, you know, those big um, things. And the big difference there is that the local stuff, New Zealanders own the IP. And with the bigger studio stuff, the um, intellectual property is owned by those offshore, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I find really interesting now is this idea that I actually think that there is this middle ground that's growing in New Zealand that really interests me where it is higher end 
New Zealand IP for an international audience. Yeah. And that's um, an area that's always been there, but I think it's a, a growing area that I feel I can bring real value to because mm. that's where I really want more Kiwis on the world stage, more Kiwi intellectual property out there. And I have so much insight now into what that means from an international perspective. I think I can bring it to those projects. I really love this idea of having unabashedly Kiwi content on the world stage. You know, you take something like Jojo Rabbit, for example, which is a very international quality film, but then, you know, it's Taika with his classic New Zealand humour in there, and it's something that we all instantly recognise. And you know what? The world quite likes it as well. Yeah, I think there's a sense that there is now a much more kind of complex vision of New Zealand that is relatively well understood internationally. And we've actually got a lot of skill in the sort of screen industries. It sort of seems like a natural thing for us to expand upon. And the problem we have to an extent is, yes, we're a great location, but we don't necessarily have really senior people on the ground Mm. here who can sort of spot talent and kind of get a sense of story and project and and elevate them. That almost feels like the missing piece. And Polly and people like her could well be the bridge that builds that capacity further still. And the more people we have like Polly, the more people we're going to attract like that too. And that's something we talked to Rachel Morris about. You might remember she was the HuffPost Highline editor, but she's now returned to New Zealand to edit North and South magazine. We asked her what she thought about returning New Zealanders and what they could do for our country. I actually think the thing that could be really interesting to watch is just what's possible with all of the connections that people continue to have with whatever it was they were doing before. Like, say, for instance, North and South, there's like quite a few stories I can think of that are really interesting for us, but also would be really interesting to an American audience. Maybe at some point we'll wind up doing some kind of story that's jointly published here and somewhere there in a way that would bring awareness of a local writer to an American audience, which would be pretty awesome. So, you know, that's just one specific example from my field, but I bet you there are many others in in different areas. I think there'll just be more ways to get New Zealand work out into the world because of the networks that all of these people are bringing back. I think that's something that we probably haven't touched on enough and people don't consider enough when they think about these returning New Zealanders, that there's this opportunity that they come back, they create these great products or opportunities within New Zealand, but they also still maintain their relationships with these other great business people, creative people internationally. You know, that's where it really sort of starts to have a multiplier effect. And luckily for us, not that we're sort of trying to trap people, but there might be a few things already tying these returning New Zealanders to home ground, as Paul explained. If their kids are in schools or they're about to have kids, then those are very important anchors. And so people will quite often trade off, yes, I can get a better job in Los Angeles. It's a more exciting place to live. You know, there are all sorts of benefits. But actually... Do I want to disrupt my kids? I'm actually doing okay in New Zealand. I might not be getting as much income as I might get. I might not have all the sort of exciting add-ons, but it's not a bad place to be. And so I think that those will anchor New Zealanders. 
as well as all like the family stuff, there's also all the wonderful things that we know New Zealand has going for it. You know, really strong culture, there's amazing nature, good coffee, which is, you know, actually hard to come by overseas. And it's safe here. New Zealand is kind of utopia. But for lots of returning New Zealanders, the anchors that Paul mentioned are not going to be enough on their own to keep them here. Yeah, I'm thinking about people like Marnie and Julia. So they're the youngest people we've spoken to for this podcast. And we are, I think about where I was at when I was their age. And I was just mostly after like excitement. And we know that New Zealanders, young New Zealanders, feel this pull of big cities abroad. And they don't have kids. New Zealand's famously easygoing lifestyle potentially isn't going to be much of a draw for them. It's not easy for me to stay still or um, chill, just chill. So what needs to happen to make people like that stay? This is actually something that Marnie's been thinking about for a while. It was sparked when I was still in San Francisco doing my digging on, shit, who's actually coming back? Do I know anyone or am I just going to be complete ground zero? And... I was starting to have calls with a few folks that were coming back from, say, New York or London and realising, yeah, there's a few and what are they struggling with? And I was already getting a kind of a pulse check. For someone like myself or others who have been away for, say, 10 years, you're so, like, not clued in and so kind of disenfranchised from what it feels like to be a Kiwi or what home even resembles there's definitely an opportunity and need, actually a dire need to create a community, a space, ecosystem, whatever you want to call it. And hearing from all these friends or new friends or new contacts that were getting referred to me or like just shared through this web of returners, the narrative was playing out so strongly and it's continued to bubble up and like the feedback has been wow yeah we are definitely needing community connections and inspiration to hold us here and so Marnie came up with Super Tilt which is basically a network where incredibly talented newly returned New Zealanders can connect with each other I'll just read out a line from the Super Tilt website because I think this sums it up pretty perfectly A curated community for edge-pushing humans freshly planted in New Zealand. Boom. There's a certain frequency to those who have been out and just explored and been a badass in whatever sector, industry they're in. And there's many ways to frame this, but a kind of a toned-down effect of coming back to New Zealand. So... A core part of this mission with Super Tilt is fertilizing these poppies so that you can come back and be a badass and continue to be a badass and inspire others to be a badass too. So Super Tilt is about connecting returning New Zealanders, but it's also about countering the tall poppy syndrome we've spoken about so much in this series. I remember you saying, Jane, that one effect you'd like to see from all these returning New Zealanders would be the spread of the kind of ambition and support and just a general kind of desire to dream big and and achieve something that you experienced overseas in LA. And that's what Marnie thinks as well. If we can expose more Kiwis who haven't gone off and done the big stuff to the kind of 
mentality and paradigms and experiences, ideas and way of thinking. And yeah, we're thriving basically all together. I'm super into this. I mean, it sounds amazing, but I feel like there's still quite a big piece of the puzzle missing and that it's great that these homecomers can connect with each other, but I feel like the rest of the country really needs to step up and embrace them and what they're building. By the sounds of things, that's not necessarily happening just yet. One of the characteristics of New Zealand is that it is quite a small market and some of these New Zealanders have worked at massive, massive companies with a lot more specialisation than we have here. So as a result, when they come back, they are applying for roles that don't perfectly map to what they've done before. Jobs which, quite honestly, they could probably smash and would be really good for them and really good for the organisation, but they're not even getting interviews. So we asked Paul Spoonley for his thoughts on this and what was driving that kind of caution when it comes to plugging these, on paper, incredible candidates into roles where they could really perform. Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because at the moment, I mean, so many businesses are focused on bottom line and it's a difficult place to be at the moment. I mean, we need to acknowledge that. So the luxury of saying, well, I'm going to employ somebody who's returned from Los Angeles, it's a bit of a gamble, I'm not sure whether their skills mix will fit our particular business... I mean, people are, are not going to want to go to that place because of the risk involved. Which makes you wonder, is there something that this country can do from a policy perspective to kind of de-risk these hires for employers? I think that would be a very good idea. This is Jared Kerr again, the Chief Economist of Kiwi Bank. You know, this is where the government could potentially support and say, well, you take them on for six months, you train them up, and it works out well, we'll pay their salaries for six months or something like that. Yeah, ironically, playing it safe all the time might actually be causing more harm than good. Here's Julia again. Remaining the same is the most dangerous thing you can do because this world is constantly changing. Like, I get it, it may take some difficulties at the start and tensions and high levels of investment and engagement, though think of the pluses, think of the opportunity space. Employers could reframe the way that they're hiring. Instead of asking, how will you fit in, to maybe asking, what can you add? That feels like a really necessary change for New Zealand and probably the only way we can move forward. That's something Jared agrees with. We do need to, I guess, broaden our horizons, our, our mindsets to include people who have that Silicon Valley success and say, wow, what do you learn over there? What's missing here and how can we do it better and to even a higher standard than what they do over there? Those are the sorts of questions I think we should be asking. It's more the growth mindset questions rather than sitting there thinking, well, we just need to deal with Kiwis who you know, grew up in Browns Bay. How does anything great happen from like a safe pair of hands mentality? Where does innovation truly come from? Like innovation is like an act of rebellion. It's seeing something and thinking something else should be there. Does that come from a risk-averse mindset? Julia really wants to see a change in the way employers hire in this country. So I would really be encouraging them to just ask what are they really looking for. And they really need to challenge themselves to think outside of the box because the talent that's arriving here this year and hopefully into the future might not be contained within the job descriptions that they're putting out. We're seeing quite a few New Zealanders coming back with a bunch of skills that we haven't seen too much of in the past. 
but we don't have a coordinated approach to this capturing of people that are coming into the country with skills and experience. So the question is, how can we change that? How can we pull our efforts to capture all this talent and retain it? And what else can this country do to make the most of this opportunity? I would like the private sector to step up and begin to have a much more active say and active role in all of this. And that's what Jared said too. Maybe get a few headhunters together, maybe get SEEK. You know, you say you've returned to New Zealand after 10 years. What have you done over that 10 years? Tell us exactly what you've done. You know, make it easy for people to say, I worked in this company and I was doing these things. I worked in this company and I was doing these things. And then someone can go over top of it and say, well, actually, you would be quite good in this company, which you've never heard of because you've been out of New Zealand for a while. They're looking for someone to do that. Would you be interested in it? It almost feels like we need the sort of one-time-only nationwide job fair yeah. where you have a whole bunch of companies saying, here's what we see as our areas of growth and need, and candidates can kind of virtually kind of shop them and put their skills in front of them. You're right. You get the candidates to do the thing, and you also get the firms to fill in what they're looking for. It's a matter of saying, right, you're a builder, geez, we're short builders, you go down there. You're a teacher, we're short teachers, you, you go over there. And there'll be a lot of people in there with really good skills but not easily placed. So with a little bit of training, with a little bit of help, we should be able to get these people into slightly different work. Yeah, and it's not just kind of developers and people from these future-facing industries. It's heartening to see the number of engineers. Uh, there's quite a few teachers coming back to New Zealand. This could be a really amazing opportunity. We could fill labour shortages, innovate our industries. We could put New Zealand on the world stage. There's an organisation called CARE which is supposed to provide links between New Zealanders when they're overseas, kind of keep the diaspora together and, and maintain relationships with their homeland and they've done a survey recently which suggested as many as 250,000 New Zealanders might be coming home in the next couple of years. But even if only a smaller fraction of that comes true, this is an all-time opportunity for New Zealand. I feel like we have to take it. Even after the pandemic goes, the forces of nationalism, the levels of polarisation, some of the things which have made being overseas not as attractive as it was, they're still going to be there even after the virus goes. So while this is potentially a brief window, it also, if we get it right, if we show that we can figure out how to work with this phenomenon and turn it into something that becomes more of an engine uh, than like a splash of fuel, that could be the thing that we look back on and say New Zealand changed definitively through that moment. And I know there are a lot of people who've been listening to this podcast who are returning New Zealanders and this is something that they can relate to but I really hope that there are also a lot of people listening who are just going to get an idea of what it is that is happening and take responsibility for putting out that welcome mat, for making those conscious decisions. We've only spoken to basically a handful of people but if they're anything like representative of this larger group, then they contain the seeds of you know, not just a sort of an economic recovery, but kind of a reshaping of New Zealand.
this isn't actually anything to be frightened of. In fact, it's something that we all collectively should try hard to embrace. Coming Home was brought to you by The Spin-Off and Kiwi Bank. It was presented by me, Jane Yee. And me, Duncan Grieve. It was produced, edited and mixed by Claire Crofton. Thanks to RNZ for allowing us to use the archive news audio we've included in this episode. And shout out to Tina Tiller and Josie Adams for recording and helping us with interviews. And to Alice Webladall and Sherry Zhang. And to Lucy Raymer, of course, for booking out interviewees. She's an organisational genius. The awesome thing about the time we're in right now is that New Zealand is like golden, new earth, realm of opportunity. I am really proud to be home, like extremely proud. I'm home and I'm safe and it's all going to be okay now. This can be a really clean, exciting, fresh start. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.